morning we're continuing in our series on faith, and we're going to briefly recap real fast. So number one, last two weeks we've been in this uh, message, and the first week we talked about faith in the storm and how it uh, trusts in protection and believes for deliverance. It trusts that in the midst of the storm, our Lord is going to protect us, and in the storm we're also going to believe that Jesus Christ is going to deliver us safely out of the storm. The second thing we have to understand is that week two, we talked about how faith doesn't quit no matter how long the wait. And we talked about an invalid man who who couldn't walk and for 38 years he couldn't walk and he, he waited and he hoped that one day he would be able to walk again and finally Jesus shows up on the scene and says, do you want to be well? Do you want to walk? And the man responds with his reasons and excuses why he hasn't seen that realized yet. And Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. But the man never lost faith that it was possible for him to walk. He may have misplaced his faith, but he had it. Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 21, says this. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt... Not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. As we're talking about faith, I'm telling you every week just to pull you back in. Faith is no matter what you believe (laughs) tied to prayer. It is. Because if you have faith in Jesus, then your communication will be with Jesus, and therefore you will pray for that need. If your faith is in yourself, then what you will do is not pray because you will act as if you do not need Jesus in your life for that specific thing. Am I making sense here? So prayer is directly tied to correct faith placed in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Faith in our everyday life, when we apply it, it is when we choose to believe and understand that it is a choice. It is when we choose to believe that what we see is not always reality. That there are things taking place beneath the surface. That it is possible for God to intervene in our lives. He didn't just die on a cross for a single moment for your salvation, he died on a cross and rose from the grave so he could constantly look after his children. He is alive and he is able. And so our faith doesn't just hold to one moment, but our faith holds to every single day of our life. Faith trusts and believes no matter the storm. Faith doesn't quit believing and it continues to hope no matter what no matter how long we have waited. Today, if you got the push notification, one of the things I said was, hey, bring your Bibles. Uh, if you have your Bible app on your phone, you can open up your phone. Uh, we, you can do it that way too, but we're going to be in a couple different passages of Scripture, and the verses will not be on the screen because of the way we're going to jump around today. Uh, if you haven't learned on your app, for your church app, if you're on the message, if you just tap the underlined reference, uh, that will also pull up the Scripture if you did not know that that was possible. You know what's amazing? 
is that I can deal with lots of different things all at one time. All right, Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 10. Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 10. God, would you move today in our hearts and our minds? Would you increase our faith as we turn to your word? In your name I pray, amen. Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 10. As Pharaoh approached the Israelites, I'm sorry, as Pharaoh approached, comma, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So what's happening here is the the Israelites, Moses has met with Pharaoh multiple times. All the plagues are gone. And Moses is leading the Israelites towards the promised land out of Egypt. And so they're walking, but as they get to a certain point, they can see this haze and they can see this blue beginning to peak out of the desert. The Red Sea stands before them. And I don't know about you, but I cannot walk through water that is that deep. Maybe I could swim, but we're talking about an entire nation. We're talking over a million people. We're talking children. Also, if you don't remember the story, we're also talking livestock. There are lots of different things that are taking place, and these people are walking towards where they're supposed to be, in life, and the Red Sea stands in their way. So they sort of begin to like camp out and be like, okay, we're going to approach this. But then they begin to hear behind them an army. The Egyptians have realized that their entire economy and their entire way of life is now being altered, and they need their slaves back. So they begin coming after the Israelites. And so in this story, you have this sea ahead of them and this army behind them. And, you know, as you can, if you can't tell by this thing, you have sea and you have angry Egypt. Can you throw out the joke slide before? This is, this is the best picture I found, but he was smiling. So we had to go to the next one and I put an angry face on him. (laughs) That's what we're dealing with. So Red Sea before, Egyptian army behind. Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Acts chapter 12 beginning in verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of soldiers, each Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So in this story, Peter is arrested. Now, Peter would know that James has been killed. James was arrested, and James was already killed. Now Peter has been arrested, okay? 
Peter is in chains. You can throw up the slide. He's in chains, and these chains are tied to Roman guards. Like they, they are literally connected to him. Not only are there guards connected to him, but there are guards who are also overseeing the prison itself. So we've got chains, we've got individuals watching, and we've got individuals watching the entire situation. Daniel chapter 6. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember your majesty that according to the law and of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict of the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought out and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. In this story, we have Daniel thrown into the lion's den. That's not a happy lion. He's very angry. He's thrown into this lion's den. And the purpose of the lion's den was literally for the animals to eat the people. That's what they were there for. It, was, it wasn't like regularly throwing people in. It was people who were being punished would be thrown into the lion's den. The other thing you have to understand about this situation, like it says right there, so that things might not be changed, they threw a rock over the den so it would be impossible to escape. And then they sealed it. Exodus 16. I'm painting a picture here if you haven't figured it out. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So again, we got Israelites out in the desert, and now they're beginning to starve, right? They're just, they're, they're hungry, and not only are they hungry and starving, but they're in a desert, right? This isn't like the woods of East Fork where you can find a deer to shoot and kill and get some meat, right? I'm just saying, like, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a desert wasteland where there is not enough food to feed these people. That's why you got a desert thrown up there with a the starving man. We're starving and there's not enough resources to go around. Matthew 27, verse 39. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. 
Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Jesus has died. He's been beaten. He's been persecuted. If you continue to read on, he's placed in a tomb. Today, what we're talking about is faith in spite of the opposition. After all, it doesn't really take faith to walk through life when everything's going well. Amen? Amen. If everything's going well in life, I have, the, I have the perfect job, I have the right income, everybody's healthy, you know, I'm able to do whatever I want whenever I want. And when everything's going well, it doesn't take a lot of faith to live because of the fact that everything is falling into place. But if there's one thing I've learned about living on this earth is that at some point in my life, something is going to go wrong. Yeah, you know, Murphy's Law is not true. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong, right? That's just, that's not true. Some days feel that way, right? And those are the days you just want to flip tables and you want to push over furniture and you want to go buy all the fast food that you can because you're tired of cooking and you just want your kids to put their own clothes away and you, you know, just fill in the blank. When everything goes wrong on those days, it's just like, I want everything to take care of itself. That's not how it works, but there are for sure days like that, right? But what I've learned, and I guarantee what we've all learned, is that someday, or even at, or maybe even every day at some point, something will go wrong. And in those moments, it's important to have something that grounds us where we are. You know, I, I think about moments in my life where I had nothing to stand on but my faith. Nothing. Because when I look at my circumstance, when I, you know, phew, nine and a half years ago, I look at my finances and I go, there's no way that I'm going to make it. No way that we're going to survive. When, when, we, uh, when we found out we were pregnant with Kayla, which was not on purpose, um, well, we, we know how it happened, but it wasn't on purpose. <laughs> um, when we ha- ended up realizing we were going to have Caleb, like, you know, Julie didn't really have a job. She was helping out at the church. We didn't make much money whatsoever. And we thought to ourselves, how in the world is this going to work? And you start to, like, get this feeling of, like, I don't know how this is going to happen. And then, like, you get this, I got this, like, glimmer of hope from my pastor 
who said these words. He goes, Jonathan, just so you know, we've talked to his board. I've explained to them the situation, and we're going to give you a 72% raise. Do you know what I learned a week later? My pastor couldn't do math. It was not a 72% raise. It was, no, it was a 7.2. It was a little more than that. What the raise was going to be, what I had been making was 72% of that. That's not a 72% raise. And at that moment, you, you know, you have, some of you have been here, right? You have this moment of, oh, it's going to happen. We're going to be okay. And then it all comes crashing down once again. We ever been there? I mean, this is, this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about faith in the midst of opposition. I remember the first car accident. Sitting in it. I remember my father-in-law and everybody finding out what was going on. My father-in-law, uh, Pop, for those of you who know him, uh, he goes, hey, you know, we have this chair. We're not using it, and I think it would be good for Jonathan. And he immediately put it in the car, and he brought it out. And I spent a good amount of days in that chair just trying to get my back to relax, not having a clue what was going on. And I was starting to get a little better, but then in a moment, everything would come crashing back down. And I thought maybe one day, like, we'll, we'll be able to work through this. We'll be able to get out of this. And then I remember the day I went into uh, the doctor's office, and she goes, okay, um, come in here. And I went, oh, no. <laughs> she goes, well, based on what we're seeing in the MRI, there's not really anything anybody's going to do to help you fix this permanently. And in that moment, right, you have a decision to make. Am I going to listen to that and am I going to let that destroy me? Or am I going to dig my feet in and choose to believe that God's plans and purposes for my life will not be lost because of a back injury? Amen. And so I looked at the person who expected me to be, honestly, I don't know if she expected me to be crying at what she expected, but I just looked at her and I said, okay, well, let's go from here. Let's figure out next steps. I could tell you story after story of unique situations with my children, being in an ultrasound room and an ultrasound tech literally shutting their mouth and being afraid because they thought that there was something majorly wrong with one of my children. And like everything comes crashing down in that moment, right? Because you have this excitement of a child coming and then you go, oh no. These are the kind of moments I'm talking about. What I'm talking about in spite of opposition. I'm also talking about small bouts of opposition as well, right? Can we be real? Like an unruly child sometimes is something you have to fight through. Yeah. I was talking with a friend last night. He, uh, he has a son who's three years old, and um, he struggles, this three-year-old son, because, uh, you know, he's, he's not like other kids, right? He's not like other kids. Uh, one of the things that they learned early on in the nursery is that he just loves everybody so much, and so he would run after these other kids to give them hugs, but he was so much bigger than them that it would look like he was tackling them to the ground. <coughs> well, I don't know if you know anything about these kids, but oftentimes when you don't have proper adults in leadership, they look at these children and they begin to identify them as problems. So then anything that goes wrong around this child 
It's that child's fault. And then as parents, you begin to get upset because you feel like you're being judged. And I know these two. I know these parents. I know how hard they work with their kid. They're doing everything they can to get the resources for him in his life early on so that he will be on the right track. But they have moments where they just are so upset and broken down. Why? Because a child who's not acting the right way sometimes is just enough to destroy how you walk through life. And by the way, it's not just little kids, right? Some of you who are older, you look at adult children and you go, yep, I know how that feels. And my child is 50 years old or 40 years old, fill in the blank, right? (laughs) Faith in spite of opposition. You ever felt stuck in life? You ever feel just like, I can't move forward? I've got these people behind me who are trying to pull me back in, whether it's into depression or addiction. I've got this crew of people who I used to hang out with, but my life is different now. And they're just trying to pull you back, but you can't seem to move forward anymore. You feel stuck. You feel like the Israelites, right? Sometimes and oftentimes, anxiety and depression can feel like this. Anxiety and depression can make you feel, because I've been there, listen, I used to take medication for this, right? I used to take medication, I, medication for anxiety. <clears throat> My wife still does. You feel like you're stuck, like there's no way out of where you are. You feel like there's just this mental pool that is just constantly trying to drag you backwards. And for some reason, no matter how hard you try, you just can't seem to move forward in life. You're just stuck. You feel like the Israelites at the Red Sea with the army behind I have nowhere to go. You know, as, as I'm preaching this message, I always have to give these kinds of qualifiers, as I just said. For sure, get professional help, okay? If you're struggling and, like, it's been a long time, listen, if you've been struggling with anxiety and depression and it's lasted more than three months, please talk with your doctor about it, okay? But your first step is to respond in faith, Okay? That's step, step one is believing that God can, but step two, which is also tied to it, is understanding that we need to get help, right? You wouldn't break your leg and sit at home and pray and believe for God to heal it randomly. You would go to a doctor. Your brain is part of your body, and therefore, you need to treat it as such, okay? Yep. All right, but what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to read a testimony real fast to somebody. They were talking about their mental health battle, and they posted this, and I asked, hey, can I read this in church on a Sunday morning? They said, yeah, that's fine. I said, I know I'm a week late, but I have read so many stories and articles this past week in regards to mental health awareness, and it just touched my heart. I had some thoughts to share. I've struggled with clinical anxiety and depression for years. I was actually diagnosed right out of high school. It runs in my family. I have friends who struggle, so it is a common factor in my life to say the least. I've been put on medication because of it, gone to therapy, changed my diet and lifestyle to combat the dark days better. And all of, all of those things helped but never cured how I felt. And for a long time, I would beat myself up thinking what I was doing wasn't enough. And that's why I couldn't fix myself. I've been in relationships, had friendships, even had people I work with tell me it is not so many, in not so many words that I needed to fix myself, change my behavior, not be so crazy. And while some, not all of their advice and judgment were coming from a place of love and kindness, I would take what they said, 
and my brain would manipulate it into the most toxic thoughts. For years, I was convinced I was broken. I did not deserve to be loved, and I would always be less than. Flash forward to this year. You'd think, despite everything, I'd be at rock bottom. But I am honestly the happiest, most optimistic, and overall motivated that I have been in a while. And I honestly believe it is because of my relationship with God. Five months ago, I started attending United Church in Bethel, and I felt an unbelievable peace in my heart, body, and mind. This person said I, they were going to cry, but I'm crying. I feel parts of me healing that I never thought would. And especially this month, month, as we learn the deepest meanings of faith, I find myself thanking God every day for the guidance through the darkest of times. Because while I truly believe in the power of medicine, healthy lifestyle, treatments, therapy, etc., the thing that has helped me most is an unwavering belief that no matter what is thrown my way in life, no matter how much I hurt or feel lost and lonely, I am never alone. Love you. That's what it feels like, right? And that's a testimony that is directly related to somebody in our church. And I know that there are people in our, just like I said, my wife, there are a good amount of people in our church who struggle with anxiety and depression. And I'm here to tell you right now, winter's coming, and we're going to talk about this in November. Winter's coming, so guess what? Depression's going to hit harder, right? Don't stop coming to church. Don't stop surrounding yourself with people who are going to encourage you in the darkest of times and moments. It's going to have an impact on your life. Number two, maybe you feel bound in chains. Maybe you feel stuck where you are to a point that you just feel like you are constantly being held back. Maybe this is a mental state, like I said, anxiety or depression. And you, you, know, you don't necessarily relate to the feeling of the sea ahead and the army behind, but you just feel bound to your situation. This might be a financial state. You just feel stuck where you are and you can't seem to break free. This might be in a relationship with somebody that you have. You just feel stuck where you are in a rut and nothing seems to make it possible because you're directly tied to them and for some reason they are stuck so you're stuck with them. And when I say things like that, by the way, I'm not talking about marriages. God wants your marriage to last. So the prayer when you're stuck in chains and the person you're tied to is holding you back is not God set me free so I can go do my own thing. No, it's God set them free and me free so we can walk in freedom together and understand what love is. That's what God wants for your marriage. Maybe you feel like you have been completely isolated in your life. Oh, going back, by the way, sorry. That's like... Peter in prison, moving forward. Maybe you feel like Daniel in a lion's den. You feel completely isolated in life. You feel lonely. You feel like all the people surrounding you tend to sound and look like lions there to destroy you. Listen, I've been in this place in life where I felt like nobody had an encouraging word for me in that moment. Anybody been there? Where it's just like, listen, you, you may say you love me and I get that you're trying to help, but you are destroying me in this moment. This is how Daniel probably felt as he was walking into this lion's den. And then not only is he isolated in this pit with lions, but the rock is put on so that he might not ever get out. Maybe you feel like you never have enough. 
You feel like the Israelites in the desert. You've tried and you've tried. You've gone from job to job. You've moved forward in your job. And for some reason, there's never enough money. There's never enough resources to be able to accomplish what you want to. You feel like you don't know enough. You feel like you can't do enough. You feel like you can't try hard enough. We've all been there at some point in our life. Nobody here inherited lots of money, right? If you do, I have a conversation to have with you. I got a, I got a parking lot. But you feel like you have never enough. And none of us are at this point in life because we're all here breathing, but death being the ultimate end of persecution, right? It's the end all be all. It's the worst thing that could possibly happen to you is that you're no longer breathing on this earth. Jesus was mocked. He was beaten. He was hung on a cross and left to die. My, my question for you, church, this morning is where are you today? Where are you today? Do you, I mean, do you feel like you're in a desert, like there's just not enough right now in life? Do you feel like you're isolated and you just have constant beratement from the people around you? Do you feel like you're at a Red Sea moment where you know you have to move forward, but you don't know how to take that next step, and behind you are people constantly trying to pull you back to where you were? <clears throat> Where are you? And again, for some of you, your Red Sea might appear as the Red Sea, and for some of you, it might just appear like a creek. But for some, from some of you, uh, you don't have boots to cross that creek properly. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's just, it's just, it's difficult enough. But faith, it trusts in protection. It believes for deliverance. Faith doesn't quit in spite of how long it has waited. And today we learn that faith doesn't quit in spite of how large the obstacle. Faith trusts in protection. It believes in deliverance. It believes in spite of how long you have waited, and it believes in spite of how large the obstacle in your way. And why? Because the Red Sea parted and Israel's, Israel walked into freedom with their enemies vanquished behind. Why? Because chains were broken and guards fell asleep and Peter escaped to freedom. Why? Because the mouths of lions were shut and mourning came and Daniel walked out with renewed authority and freedom. Why? Because manna fell from heaven and quail came in by the multitudes to feed every single need of the Israelites. And Jesus Christ himself rose from the grave proving that there is no obstacle on this earth that is too big for our God. There is nothing that the enemy can throw at you to hinder you in your faith because we have seen time and again that God is bigger and stronger and more able than anything that you face. I don't know what you're looking at in your life, but I assure you it is not big enough to stop what God has for you. And I want to encourage you even more because some of us are looking at death the wrong way. 
Because we look at death, and you know, I said earlier, when we look at death in an earthly mindset, we go, well, yeah, death is the end. But as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, death is not my end. I'll tell you right now, the other side of death for me is much better than this side has. And when that day comes, I'm going to be okay. And so what I do is I pray. I pray for that moment to be later in life for the sake of my family. I do, right? I want my family taken care of. I want to know that everything's going to be okay. But when that day comes, I know I'm ready because there's nothing the enemy can throw at me that will mess me up. So I stay grounded in my faith. I don't get tossed to and fro by the circumstances of this world. By the way, it wasn't just Jesus who rose from the grave. So all of us know that story, right? Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave in John 11. Paul raised Eutychus in Acts 20. When I say, when I say the names of who did it, I'm not talking about who. It was the Holy Spirit, right? It was Eutychus in Acts 20. It was Tabitha in Acts 9. It was the Shunammite woman's son in 2 Kings 4. And it was the son of the widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings 17. You understand that God has been resurrecting the dead from the beginning. It wasn't just after Jesus rose from the grave. He did it before, he did it in the moment, and he'll continue to do it. Listen, if you still have breath in your lungs, there is still hope for you. I told Tom, I met, went, met with him in the hospital yesterday. I said, Tom, I want to leave here assured of your salvation. And I was glad I did that with him. But I also looked Tom in the eye and I said, Tom, I'm not giving up on you. I'm going to continue to pray and believe that God can heal. Amen. That's what we're going to believe. And I assure you, that is how you should look at your life as well. That God's plans and purposes are best. And no matter what this world throws at you, everything's going to be okay. Why? Because God has been making something out of nothing from the beginning of creation. He created ex nihilo. That's Latin for those of you who would love that stuff. He created ex nihilo. It means that out of nothing, something was made. Listen, I look at a Red Sea and God looks at a dry path through it. I look at chains and God sees them broken. I look at a lion's den and God shuts mouths of my enemies. I look at a desert land with nothing to be able to sustain me and God sees an opportunity to provide for every need as he has promised. I look at death and Jesus says, it's not the end. If I raise you in this life or I raise you on the other next, I have you. There is nothing that is too big for God. Now, I I, I preach this message and some of you, again, I don't want you to hear this message and go, well, I don't, have, I don't have a Red Sea in front of me right now. That's not what I want you to do. I'm preaching this message so that you understand that no matter what it is. So for you, it might be something small and simple in your mind, but I assure you that's something that you need to have faith for. You know, Melissa, this is not a thing with you, but we're going to talk about this. So tests, right? Tests. We need to understand that there is a faith side and there is a practical side. We study. We put in our effort. We do what we can. And then we trust God. 
We trust Him. You know, we would, we would not look at a person who doesn't study and go, you tried. But what does faith do? Faith believes, right? Yep. Faith believes. So it puts practical application behind what we believe. That's what it does. So if I believe that I'm going to be healed of my back one day, then what I'm not going to do is sit in a chair and go, God's going to heal my back one day. I'm going to live my life. God, be with that individual who's in need right now. I'm, I'm going to see my life and live it to the best that I can. Not be stupid, even though I was stupid this past week. I didn't know. I hurt myself. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to do what I can so that when that day comes, I am not held back by myself, but instead I have set myself up to walk in victory. That's what it looks like. It doesn't mean I sit in my chair and go, God's going to handle my anxiety and depression. No, you go get counseling. You go get medication. You continue to pursue the help that you need. And what God's going to do, he might use that to heal you. He might use that to work with you. He also might, in that moment, like he did with me, I struggled with anxiety for a little over a year. I had specific circumstances that I could not process through. I just could not get past them. And so I got put on medication. I went to counseling. And then finally, God set me free. And I'm not doing those things now. Not because it was bad that I was doing them. God used them to help me in that season. So here's my next point. You see... Pentecostals and prosperity gospel says God can and God will, right? That's what it is. God can and God will. But the true gospel says this. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walking into the fiery furnace. They say we understand what our destination is, and we're going to walk into it believing in faith that God's going to do something. They stood before the king, and the king said, listen, I'm going to throw you into that furnace. And by the way, we're going to throw it seven times hotter than it normally would be because we want to be sure that you're just going to be ash by the time we're done with you. Okay? And we've talked about this before. When we talk about throwing into a fiery furnace, the fiery furnace is not some kind of man-made object in the sense that you just, you know, throw it into this metal thing. No, no. The furnace that they were going into, they walked down into. Think of a handicap ramp all the way down into a fiery pit. That's what I'm talking about when we're talking about furnace. So the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are being escorted by guards down a handicap ramp. They're not throwing up a fight to the point that we understand the guards who walked with them died. But they had said to the king, my God can save me from this fiery furnace you will throw me into. My God will save me from this fiery furnace that you throw me into. But even if he does not, I will never bow. I will never quit. I will never give up on my God. You want to throw in the towel because it looks like you failed in a moment? No, 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 no. My God can and my God will. And even if he doesn't show up in this moment, he's going to show up in the next. He's going to show up in the next. He's going to show up in the next. I will never give up my faith. Worship team, can you come before I lose my voice again? God's been making something out of nothing from the beginning of creation. We have to understand that our God can. 
every obstacle in your life, our God can. I was talking with my friend last night about his child, and I was sharing about Caleb. And see, some of us know Caleb, and you love Caleb, and I love Caleb. Man, that kid is amazing. But what you don't know are the stories of Caleb when he would get upset with his brother and he would pick up a wood block and he'd chuck it at his brother's head. And we'd have to run to urgent care so that they could stitch and glue it up. You don't know the stories of Caleb who would literally just take a fist and throw it at a sibling. Did I put in work with my son to help him understand that it was not okay? You better well believe it. Did I also spend nights praying for my son? <laughs> Just believing that he would be the sweetest possible kid he could be. <laughs> you see, we have our part to play in life. We have, to, we have to parent, right? We have to parent. We can't just believe that God's going to turn our kids out right. We don't just get to bring our kids to church. Understand that. If you, leave the ch if you leave your children's faith up to this church, I assure you, your children won't turn out well. You have to parent your children. You have to, you have to lead them as well. We're going to do what our part, but we're here to support you. That's our job. We're here to support you because you are the parent. You are the one leading them. When you think about your marriage, you have to put in work. You have to put in work. Listen, I mean, it was about a month ago. It was about a month ago that Julie and I were just in this really bad place. I mean, really bad place. Not like, hey, we're thinking about anything crazy. We, we were just not doing well. And what ends up happening is at some point, somebody has to give in, right? And somebody has to work a little bit harder. And, you know, I don't know about you, but... Um, I'm stubborn, and my wife is stubborn. And normally when we get in fights, we reach this point where one of us finally has to say, you know what? We're lost. And we're missing it right now. And we step away. And guess what we both do? We pray. God, would you work on my heart? Would you work on my mind? Would you help me to see where I've messed up? And you know what's amazing about it is we normally both come back apologizing because we recognize our own faults. Why? Because when we spend time with the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does is He transforms us. Now, again, now the other side to that, sometimes that means praying for a spouse who's not listening to the Holy Spirit and believing for change. But I assure you right now that God can transform anything. If He can raise someone from the dead, He can raise a relationship from the dead. He can. God's been making something out of nothing from the beginning. Each of us has obstacles before us. And what I want us to do, if you, when you sat down this morning, uh, you all had these index cards on your seat. And what I did today is I wrote mine down earlier because I could and I know what I was doing. But I got, I got a good list here. I got about... We've got 18 different things that I wrote down that are just like things in my life right now that are just a pain in the butt, standing in my way. I wrote things that have to do with church because it's my job, right? 
I wrote parking lot down on there, right? I wrote carpet down on there. I wrote AC. I wrote things like that. I wrote things like church growth. I wrote things like surrendering control. Don't pick on me. I, I wrote Tom. I wrote my back. I wrote my children. I wrote lots of different things. And what I want you to do is I just want you to begin listing. They're going to sing a song. And we're going to write. And then we're going to pray. And then we're going to shred. So if you want to come forward and write in the front, there's a, it's amazing. Nobody's in the front row today, right? If you want to separate yourself and just begin writing in the front row, you can do that. If you want to write at the altar, do it. If you want to come up and just pray over it at the altar, because for some of you, I'm not going to lie to you, you've done this action before where you're just like, you write it down and then you throw it away kind of thing. You're like, ah, hopes. Listen, I'm telling you, this is not just write it down and drop it in the shredder. This is write it down put a hand over it. Pray over them. Pray over every specific thing. And like I said, I've done this earlier. And then you walk up here and whether you whisper it in your mind, you whisper it out loud. You say, God, I believe that this card is yours. I'm going to do what I can, but I'm going to trust that you're going to do what you can. Jesus, would you set us free today? Jesus, would you make a path for us today? Jesus, would you provide for us today? Jesus, would you restore that which has been lost today? Jesus, would you resurrect that which is dead today? Jesus, would you fill us with a faith, not just for our salvation, but for every single moment of our life, trusting and believing that you can that you will, and even if, I will not quit. I will continue to believe that the next moment is my moment of freedom, of provision, of deliverance. You know my pray. Amen. Altars are open. The shredder is on. Spend time with Jesus. They're going to sing. They're going to process. And we're all going to believe.